I love what you guys are doing. It's been, I'm not going to lie. It's really humbling when you said, Hey Jeff, do you want to be on the podcast? I'm like, I'm over here looking at you guys from the third person's view. Like these dudes are kicking ass. I can't wait to see their growth. Like, I mean, for a new podcast, right? Like relative to the podcast space, mm-hmm. I feel like you guys, there's a lot of substance there, you know, like you walk away with things versus uh meaningless conversation. Like, I don't know. I don't do well with like purposeless dialogue. Mm-hmm. So it's like really refreshing to like, see you guys like you're like, I get, I get something out of it, you know, like if I'm on a drive and I'm, I look at downtime as like a way to develop myself. So I'm on a drive. I put on the podcast. I get something out of it. I walk away like, man, like that was a 25 minute drive. I got 25 minutes in, I'm going to work. I'm doing whatever. Like I, I got value out of listening to some of the content, listening to some of the guests, um, <laughs> the black rifle coffee company. I was like, man, I'm the next guest. How the heck do I follow this guy up? <laughs> uh, let's see. That's like, that's not what we're about. And that's not what we're trying to be about is to get like big name people on. And that's what matters. Um, I think I told you before when we talked, we're just trying to get like, we are uh, impressive. People's cool. People have done things in their life. That's awesome. But we're trying to get good people on. And so far we've had good luck with that. And just from what I've seen online with you and talking to you, you seem like a good dude. So mm-hmm. you're a good fit for the podcast, you know? <laughs> yeah. And there's lots of, we've noticed, you know, we, there's lots of archetypes that we don't address as people. Like we all, especially when you look into the podcast, we all kind of want similar things in life even the guy that pisses you off every day, like somebody is just an asshole. It's like, he probably still wants the same thing in life. He wants to be happy and content. He's just not there, you know, because you've noticed over the last year, we've seen how separated everybody's gotten. I mean, people are already kind of separated, but it's gotten worse as a nation. Yeah. It's like, Hey, we all kind of want the same shit. We're just all afraid to change our perspective on something, you know? So we talk a lot about that on the podcast. Like, fuck your perspective and your ego surrounding that let it go and adapt because we can all become a lot closer you know um yeah it kind of disgusts me all i mean i talk a lot of shit on here but that's just because i'm an asshole but genuinely i feel like i do honestly want us to get all on a similar page you know as people you know whether you're right or left or whatever you you want to you know assign your identity to you know um yeah so anyway, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's been and like, like you said, or what you were saying, like all that nice stuff you just said, that's so fucking awesome for us to hear. Yeah. Like no, it, totally. it makes, it makes, and I, I told you this on the phone that day, but it makes it feel like what we're doing is worth it. Cause we're getting that positive feedback from people and yeah, we're pretty new, man. I mean, what we've been doing this six months, right? Maybe. Yeah. And we're trying to just like every episode, make it a little bit better if, if we can, whether it's a little bit better on the audio, a little bit better on the video, a little bit better on how we communicate with people. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm horrible. I've, I've been horrible my whole life as I'll cut people off when they're talking. I always interrupt because I feel like I got to get my word in and I'm trying to learn not to do that as much. Yeah. And it's just, it's a learning process, but we're trying to make it better with every episode. Yeah. Dude, with the whole digital scene, it's like, 
a awkward game of double dutch it's like when do you get in like you know you mentioned like cutting people off it's so hard because you're not getting those like nonverbal cues by mm-hmm. just like being right in front of a dude and just saying oh like okay now it's like a good window for me to jump in you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. seriously no so um i'm gonna we'll start talking about va stuff because i know Should you want to yeah i know we kind of dive right into it and then we can expand from there um so they're doing a lot of it's kind of neat to see the va trying to be a little bit more proactive lately considering that it is government funded you know anything that's not privately funded is usually going to be 10 years behind everybody else right yep um but you know when i saw a psychiatrist a few months ago he was like, honestly, because of the COVID vaccine having to get pushed off quicker, that's the only reason the FDA isn't going over the D- DMT thing right now. But they're going to do it in a year from now. So it'll be like the end of this year, I think. And they're going to approve DMT use, psychedelic use. Was it DMT or was it uh, psilocybin? It might have been psilocybin, actually. Because that's the yeah. synthetic version, right? DMT is like the shit that takes you to a different dimension. <laughs> right. So maybe it's psilocybin, but... But they're saying, you know, it has 60% higher effective rate than any psychotropic drugs, obviously, mm-hmm. without the side effects. And they'll do one to three doses, most likely something like that. But, the, I mean, we're looking at a year, and the VA is going to start implementing it. Which is going to save a lot of money in the long run and hardships for people. I read an article that the, the VA was trying to do get studies done with psilocybin mushrooms because even people outside of veterans or even out, they had, like – post-traumatic stress or oh, yeah. anxiety who've taken them it's shown a positive side effect so they're trying to introduce that into the va for veterans because mm-hmm. obviously post-traumatic stress is a big deal yeah but i was reading an article about that like two weeks ago yeah no, it's I a think- big deal and one of the most taboo things in military culture dude yeah. <laughs> like, is it as bad, is it as bad today as it was like say 10 15 years ago when you get when you were in like is it still is um, looked down upon so I got out in 2014. So I am, you know, six, seven years removed, whatever it is. Um, back when I was in, right? I, I was in 2010 through 2014. Um, it was not cool. It was like, you say anything about that or anything that alludes to that, you will be in the freaking arms room, cleaning weapons, like, you know, you, you're viewed as the weakest link and in a environment where sometimes the worst in you makes you the best soldier. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's that hyper masculine environment. Like same thing. I was similar time. Like I was in from like January, 2008 to January, 2013. And I remember ta- we talked about some, a couple of podcasts ago, like if I had walked into the common area, you know, we get there like five 30 in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, five 50. So it's five 50. Cause yeah. And if I like walked in and was like, hey, what's up, guys? Good morning. And I'd be like, who the fuck are you? Like, you just don't <laughs> talk like that. You show up and you're like, what's up, bitches? You know, you just, you're brooding. You know, you don't come in and like smile because they'll see you as weak. Hmm. Like, yeah. well, I'm not going to go with that guy. He's weak. You're just like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, like, you can't have that personality. Actually, you know? will you, Jeff, tell us like what branch you were in, all that good stuff? Yeah, because yeah. I mean, our listeners would probably like to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was in the army from 2010 through 2014. Uh, I was in the military police regiment. So 
everything law enforcement, area security, detaining operations. We kind of did a little, not too much detaining operations. Most of our stuff was law and order, um, area security, convoy security. Um, but I deployed to pretty much train, they call it the Afghan National Civil Order Police. We'll just loosely call it Afghanistan's SWAT team. And loosely is a key word because whenever as Americans or as Western society, when we think SWAT, we automatically get a vision based off of what we've seen on TV or what we've seen like at our local departments. It's not that cool guy. It's not that high speed. Like, you know, it's you're building up a force and you're trying to train them so that at the very micro level, like the, the you just give them enough so that they're able to do a job with at least some type of confidence. But you know, there, there's other elements that you have to teach them, you know, a lot of organizational skills, a lot of like how to not mismanage funds, <laughs> you know, like how to have accountability of your personnel, you know, like sometimes I think we take, we take that for granted just in the Western world, you know, cause we're all, Hey dude, I'll see you at nine o'clock. And you're like, all right, I'll see you at nine. You, you, you say, Hey, I'll see you at nine o'clock. And it's like, if it's God's will, we'll be there at nine. And we're like, bullshit, you better put an alarm, dude. <laughs> you better be there at nine. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, uh, like, it, a lot of people were salty about it. But if you're looking through it through a clear lens, Iraq and Afghanistan are both beautiful places. Like, stunning. And it, and Afghanistan sells a lot of its beauty, you know, because we're mainly fighting out of, remote areas right but iraq i mean just got ravaged i mean their cities everything their infrastructure just took a shit um so you deployed to both oif yeah, and OEF? Yeah, both. yeah what was like the i only went to afghanistan i did 12 months over there so i my unit when i got there like out of basic training you know private hernandez doesn't even know how to tie his boots yet kind of guy these guys were just coming back from Iraq. They were so dysfunctional, you know, like I was seeing all the things that I see now, just like in the mental health world, those were the guys that were my battle buddies, my team leaders, my squad leaders, et cetera. What did that look like in comparison to Afghanistan? Cause I know Afghanistan, I thought it was one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Yeah, no, Iraq's the same. I mean, you have, I don't know, just like this weird landscape, you know, the trees, the bushes, everything's different. I mean, I'm talking about trivial things, but they all mean something, you know, looking at just like these canvas, like brown canvas looking rolling, you know, foothills and, you know, palm trees and those palm groves, going to walk through palm groves, little villages with kids running around, just like Afghanistan, like these kids running around, kicking an old, like, something that resembles a soccer ball in an empty ditch or something and that's their life but it's it's simple but they look at someone happy and they're making the best of it right and it's that simplicity in a beautiful place with nice sunsets and sunrises and a view a, a very clear view of the stars at night right and you you take yourself away from america we don't have any any of that nothing is simple here at least not for most of us live in cities and it's not simple we don't have that at night we don't have a lot of what they have but we have more right it's a different culture and i thought they were both beautiful places you know like yeah we can be like salty fuckers but yeah it smells like shit yeah just because they don't have a lot of the same sewer systems we do doesn't mean they're pieces of shit 
that's right. the same mentality that fucked the Native Americans over and Columbus came over. Like, yes, these people will be easy to enslave because they're trying to give us stuff. And because we're in the name of Catholicism and we rule the fucking world. So they're less being, they're not sentient beings because they're not Catholics, right? Like, yeah. that's a lot of how we view them because of our indoctrination through our culture and our military. You know, mm-hmm. you can't kill what you can't hate. You know, it's really hard to unless you're a psychopath. You have to hate what you're there to kill. And anyway, back to the point. Yeah, it's, it's, they are beautiful, both beautiful places. I think equally in their own right. Well, I, I remember know. at my job, there was a guy that I trained and he was from Iraq and he had lived here for like six years, I think. And really cool dude. And I remember I asked Kevin because I'd never had any interaction with somebody who's from Iraq. Um, I'd never sat down and talked with somebody who's Muslim for any time that I knew of. And he was a really fucking cool dude. And it opened my eyes a little bit because I had no exposure to anybody like him before. And I'm not going to lie. When I first found out I was training him, I was kind of uncomfortable because I had never sat with somebody from Iraq. And I was judging him right away. And we got in that truck together and we drove around all day and we had a bunch of shit in common. We like some of the same music. We both wanted our families to be healthy and happy. And we, we got along we hit it off. And about halfway through the day, I'm like, dude, I'm like, I got to apologize to you right now. I was judging you before we ever got in this truck. Yeah. And he starts laughing. He's like, I was judging you too. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he's like, you don't look like the type of guy who would like a type of guy like me. And we hit it off. We became buddies. So anyways, what I was getting to was my perspective. Cause I was never, in the military or over in the Middle East, I would think that guys like you guys who were there, who fought people from there, would not like them. That would that be my perspective, right? After I became buddies with that guy, I asked Kevin, I was like, dude, I'm like, I told him about the guy and it kind of blew me away. Kevin's like, oh yeah. He's like, Iraqi people are very sweet people. He's like, most of them are sweet people. And I remember you telling me like, they they would feed us and uh, most of them didn't want to fucking kill you. You know, there was the ones that did, but yeah. I would have had that. I had that perspective that you guys would like fucking hate them. Yeah. I mean, if say we had a dictator running our country, but our country is very organized, which Iraq was right. Um, and someone other country came in to free us, but killed a lot of civilians and children because they're a little hasty and did things that piss us off. They don't have a whole lot to do. Some of the young kids over there, you know, so the equivalent gives some poor, broke, disgruntled 16 year olds in America in shitty environments, a little bit of money and some guns. And they're going to do the same fucking thing. Mm-hmm. We can't hate a whole race of people because of their influences. We will do, we do the exact same things here. You know, I take it kids in gangs. Here's a fucking gun. Here's some money. Don't let anybody mm-hmm. fuck with you. It's the same thing they do. It's how they promote. You're doing this for Allah. There's invaders in here in our land. Here's a gun. Yeah. Here's some food. Fight with us. You know. We'll take care of you if you take care yeah. of us. You can't hate on someone. You can hate them because your friend died and they did it, but that's that's cause and effect, and it's sad and it sucks. You know, it all sucks when that kind of stuff happens, mm-hmm. and we become so emotional. Like, yeah, see, fuck all Muslims. You know, fuck everybody. You know. But really, they're in a situation, we're in a situation, Mm -hmm. and we're on opposing sides, and that's what it is. Well, that's like with that dude I was just talking about. 
shout out to O'Day if he's ever listening. O'Day. I, don't, I think he moved. He moved to Europe, I think. Oh shit! Because his family was over there. But uh, um, he kind of explained to me how he was raised in the Muslim religion. I knew nothing. I still don't know anything about Muslim religion. But he explained to me that he was raised to treat people with respect, love your family. I mean, a lot of the same shit that we all want. And it just opened my eyes to yeah. to to him. And actually, his cousin still works for our company. Okay. And now, if I see him, I have no, like, no thoughts about him other than that. It's probably a cool dude. Just because O'Day showed me, and I had no exposure to anybody like him ever. So it was it was cool. Dude, we kind of tangent there, but yeah, they're they're good about like I remember. Full disclosure, I am not the guy that goes to church every Sunday. I'm not the guy that you'll see, you know, anything hyper-religious. Mm -hmm. But I did have a Bible on me when I was deployed. You know, I grew up in a Catholic household. You know, I was an altar boy when I was a kid. You know, we used to go to church every Sunday. My dad used to dress me up, you know, Latin parents, dude. I don't know. They would dress me up like in these like really dressy pants. You yeah. know, it's like... You, you saw my cousins like in full-blown wedding dresses and soccer shoes pretty much to go to, to, go to church on Sundays. Where, where's, your, where's your family from originally? We're from the Dominican Republic. Okay, okay. So we're, our culture is a culture where it's like, if you have a son that doesn't play baseball, call the Department of Children's and Families because <laughs> that's child neglect. Those parents are incompetent. How, how, don't, how don't they play baseball? <laughs> that's funny you say that dressing up thing because my, my wife she's mexican and i see pictures of them when they were kids and mm -hmm. dressed head to toe every sunday Damn. and like she'd tell me stories like how they just go and like walk around the mall all day but oh, they have no. to be dressed nice because it's sunday yeah <laughs> yeah my dad is still like that dude he dresses up to the nines i'm like where are you going he's like nowhere you know <laughs> like, <laughs> Dude, put on some shorts or something. Get comfy. He's like, no, I, he irons his stuff every day. But you know, he's he's almost seventy. They're they're a little bit different, but yeah. And you're you're from Brooklyn, right? Brooklyn, New York. I was born and raised in New York City, and made my way to the Midwest the first time. Uh, I went to college in Texas, but I was always traveling. Um, I went to a a D one junior college in Texas called Clarendon College. That place taught me a lot. It's huge culture shock. I'm coming from, you know, Brooklyn, New York, the concrete jungle to, mm -hmm. you know, seeing literally concrete everywhere to now seeing acres and acres and mm -hmm. acres of land. And I think that warped like my value system and like loving mother nature and like loving the outdoors and like being able to see like, oh, I can grow my own vegetables, you know, I can grow my own peppers, my own whatever, I can raise cattle, I can have chickens in the backyard, like nothing that I could do in a 14 floor apartment building with, you know, I don't even know, maybe like a 20 by 20 slab of grass, you know, mm -hmm. with potentially syringes in it. So you don't want to go take a, <laughs> yeah. have a picnic. <laughs> but to the point, I, I wanted to, to make sure that I touched on it because you, as a Western world, we have demonized, you know, the Muslim faith. And I remember when I was over there, those dudes saw me that I had a Bible in my little pocket and they were like, dude, you, you, you believe in that thing? And I was like, to be honest with you, man, 
you got to believe in something. And sometimes when you stare the devil right in the eyes, you know, you just say, I hope, I hope that this at least exists because like, I hope I'm a good person. I hope I go to a positive place, you know? Um, and they were like, Oh, we, we believe in Jesus. And I was like, what? <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah. We, we believe in Jesus. We just don't think he's a Messiah. I mean, we don't think he's the son of God. We think that, you know, he's a messenger like, like the rest of these other guys. And I was like, Oh, huh. no kidding. What else do you guys know? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're, you know, to be honest with you, as the American force, like, you know, when, when we were out there, I feel like my team was blessed. I only deployed with uh, a team of 10. I didn't deploy as a company size element, as, you know, a platoon size element, as a battalion. We were individual deployers for my company. There were they split it up into five 10 men teams and we deployed and they changed our orders a million times, you know, but once we got there, it was like, okay, this is what you guys are going to go do. You're going to go here. Nope. never mind. You're going to go over there. Nope. never mind. You're going to go over here. Nope. never mind. You're finally going to go over there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, because we're, we were such a small team, you know, I was a, an advisor to, to the Afghan law enforcement folks, you get to rub elbows and just have conversations that you would never have, you know, if you're deploying in such a, a large element, like you actually get to like shoot the shit with people. You get to sit down with your interpreters, you know, and like have a meal. Um, and they are some of the most humble, like, I looked at them like you guys barely have anything and you're making us like the most massive bowls of rice with lamb, like, the portions were not like they were really, really supersized type portions, you know? So as much as I was like thinking red, 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 you know, what makes the grass green, blood, 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 you know, I started to shift a little bit and say, okay, I need to be able to identify actual threats versus seeing every single person as the enemy. Um, and I feel like that was kind of like a, a, a pivotal moment for me, just like going from a young man, going from a boy to a young man, because I still feel like in your 20s, you're still, you're still not all there yet. You know, mm -hmm. there, there's still a lot of molding that needs to happen. But you know how us guys are. We think we're the most baddest dudes in the fucking world. We're like 13 and we're like, yeah, I'll fuck him up. He, he ain't <laughs> nothing. You know, and it's like, how old were you when you joined? I was old, man. I was like 21. <laughs> I was like what you would consider old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was a senior in undergrad um, when I joined. So mind you, I'm from New York City. So when I was, when 9-11 happened, I was watching it from my ninth grade biology class, watching the Twin Towers fall. Mm -hmm. And, you know, rest in peace to everybody that passed away, you know, during 9-11. But as a 13, 14 year old kid, I did not understand the gravity of what the hell was going on. Mm -hmm. um, well, that, I was didn't, that was close to home for you. Oh yeah, dude. We're literally looking at it. You know, mm -hmm. I'm sitting, my high school, it was like six floors. It yeah. was six stories. I'm in the sixth floor, you know, looking at out the window. And one of my buddies is like, dude, these pilots are drunk as hell, man. Look at how close they get to the boom. Mm -hmm. My bio teacher's crying and we're laughing because we're freaking stupid little kids that don't realize that people are losing their lives, like yeah. that this is going to tip the scales, you know, in favor of some madness in the, on the planet, you know? 
and we're, you know, we're sitting there joking. I, I feel so embarrassed, man. We're sitting there joking around. We're like, look at how stupid these pilots are. Can you believe how dumb they are? Look at how close they got to the building. And little did I know that some of my teachers who were National Guardsmen and reservists at the time, they were getting orders. You know, it was like, oh, we got a substitute now. Like, mm. this is a freebie for the rest of the year, pretty much. <laughs> but they shut down the city. I mean, you had to walk. You know, the bridges were, were, were shut for a long time. Um, as a ninth grader, as a sixth grader, I was taking about an hour and 20 minute commute with public transportation to get to school. Because New York City is kind of different. You know, I went to one school, they kept me there. When you're in middle school, you apply for your high schools like you would apply for colleges. Hmm. You get letters of recommendation from your teachers. Um, now, granted, there's a zone school that's designated for you based off of your neighborhood, but I lived in a crap neighborhood. I lived in the projects, man. Like I was in the hood of all the hoods, <laughs> you know, my zone school was known for sports, but I was a little bit brighter, right? Like, so I, they wanted to enrich me academically. They were like, dude, like, yes, you're athletic, but you, you can't fall back on that. Like, you really got to make sure that you have a craft or a trade. And I went to a school to be an aircraft mechanic. And hmm. that's where I learned that this guy is not mechanically inclined. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the last guy you want fixing anything, dude. Like, my wife fixes things in the house. Like, you know, the belt on the riding mower got loose and she's down there. And I'm like, honey, would you like a beer? You know, like, what, what can I do for you? Uh, yeah, I get that. That's that's kind of similar to my wife and myself. Uh, we did like a full remodel of our old house. She did 90% of that by herself because either I was at work or it's also a confidence thing. I'm like, I'm not confident to try that without fucking everything up. And yeah. she's like, boom, I'm going to tackle this and get it done. Yeah, she's like, get the fuck out of the way. Yep. yep. <laughs> get out of here. Yeah, and she, she does fucking awesome with that stuff. So I'm, I want to ask you something I have not asked. I don't think any of our guests, we've had so many veterans on. What made yeah. you want to join the military? So 2000, the recession was rough, was rough in New York, man. Like I'm sitting there as a senior in college in the number one criminal justice school in the nation, John Jay College for Criminal Justice at that time. I don't know what it is now. Um, no internship, no job perspectives, no one having a conversation with me like about my career development or, you know, helping me connect dots, like the things that you would expect as a senior in undergrad, it wasn't happening, Jack. And I felt indebted to this country, you know, like I, I looked at the situation, like, you know what, my parents came here from another country. I'm looking at the people around me, my friend groups, while I love them, you know, because we grew up together, we're just not the same people, you know, like, I don't believe in generational poverty. Like, if your grandmother got projects, or, you know, public assistance, and your mom got public assistance and projects, and then like, you, like, somebody's got to do something like what, what, what is it that we're doing here? And I was looking at all my little friends, just into that same they were content with mediocrity and or what what i viewed as mediocrity like mm -hmm. um i cannot be okay with being regular in anything you know like i'm the type of guy that i go in and it's like i want to either be the best or amongst the best or i want to get the job done at such a high level that it's way better than it was before i got there and they didn't have that same mindset so 
I was like, I got to get away from these people, you know? And I felt embarrassed to ask my mom, like, Hey mom, can I have five bucks so I can go to college? I need to pay for the train, you know? Like, mm-hmm. So I looked at that and I was like, you know, the, this country gave my parents an opportunity to come here. And the reality is that their life sucks. You know, they're working the crap jobs that nobody wants. So if I don't do something about it, because I was given every opportunity imaginable, you know, I think as an American, you have the world at your fingertips, you know, you have, you can access things if you put energy toward in that direction, you know, if you're just complacent, like just waiting for something to happen, you're not going to get shit. And I feel like this country will make sure that you don't get shit if you're just kind of just waiting there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I'm okay with because it's like, I, I, I love self it's, it's called self-actualization, right? Like meeting your maximum potential. Like I love that it, it drives me and I view like every single person, like how can we maximize your potential? How can we get you to that? Like pinnacle of whoever you are and no one around me was like that. So I had to get the heck out of there really fast before I was consumed by what they were up to. And my dad pulled me aside one day and he said, you know, Jeff, you have, you have a lot of things that I don't have. Um, You know, you know how, you know how to speak well, you know, English, I don't know English and it screws me over every single time. Um, I tried to learn English, but my, when I looked at like my time, I was working so many hours and the places where you can go learn English, obviously we didn't have internet and things like that. Like I feel like Mm -hmm. if it was, technology it would it would level out the playing field a little bit for them but he's like you have to you have to remove yourself from these people because if you have five friends and all five of them are boneheads and you're the one that's squared away they're gonna drag you down mm-hmm. and if you have five friends that are like studs or at least making progress towards like some of their goals naturally you're gonna be doing the same thing because you you're a product of what's around you, you know? And he's like, look what's around you. Look at what some of these people are up to. Like they're selling drugs. They're pissing in the elevator. You know, they're, they're doping up, you know, like right in front of you, man. And it, I was just like, dude, this is, this is not for me. Like I, I got to get myself out of this situation by any means necessary. And the only way that I saw at the time was saying, I will be the sacrificial lamb for my family. If something happens to me, then you guys will be taken care of. But this country has given me this opportunity. I have to go fight for it. Like Mm. I got to use my 10 fingers, 10 toes. Like what's up? Let's see what I'm really made out of. Like I I went to the Marine recruiter first because I thought they had the most badass uniform. I was like, dude, those things look sweet. You saw those guys (laughs) with their little dress uniforms. Mm -hmm. The Marine recruiter was like, yeah, man, we'll get you promoted right to E1, dude. Like you'll be, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, bro, I'm a senior in college. I know you're fucking me. You're promoting me to E1. That's where you start. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) there's no, uh, the salesmanship there. It was just like a little sleazy. He's like, yeah, man, I was, I was thinking career development. He's like, oh, every Marine's a rifleman. Well, you know, you're going to be a rifleman. And I was like, but what else, you know, what, what's the, what else for me? Like, I, I need more depth than that. And he's like, no, you start there. And I was like, sounds good, man. Thanks. Went to the air force. Air force dude was like, Hey man, you'll come in as an E2. And not that it matters, you know, 
in the beginning when you don't know anything, it, it kind of matters. But the reality is that by the time you make E4, you know, it's, everybody's there at the same amount of time, same time in grade, time in service. Uh, Air Force dude was like, hey, you know, uh, you got to lose like 20 pounds. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, I'll lose that 20 pounds of basic training, man. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and he showed no oomph. Like there was no proactiveness about him. Like he was not going out of his way to get me in. And he wanted me to lose 20 pounds. The army was like, listen, you took this at, you took this little test here. You got this score. This is what you qualify for. Uh, you want to go to Red Lobster? You want to go to Applebee's? I was like, <laughs> Shit, the Air Force told me I got to lose 20 pounds. You want to take me to Red Lobster? I'm signing right now. (laughs) (laughs) So the Army, it was, I had, you know, like a few cousins that were already in the Army. So they already kind of schooled me up and they like basic things. They were like, dude, before you get to basic training, make sure you know the soldier's creed. And I'm like, why? They're like, dude, it's just going to make your life easier because they're going to hammer you about the these things so if you at least know them beforehand you're still going to be stressed the hell out you're still going to be going through hell but you won't have to go through that hell necessarily or at least under the pressure that they put you in you'll at least have like little breadcrumbs in your little memory bank that you can go back to and just be able to recite it you know to the top of your freaking lungs whenever they ask you um, so I, w- I went army, man. And, and it was the best decision that I've ever made. Like I have spine issues, you know, I, I unfortunately, the terrain in Afghanistan beat me the hell up, dude. Um, to the point where I have like, I think it's like three or four herniated discs. Um, I had outstanding leadership and they took care of me and uh, they turned me into the leader that I am today. Like I didn't know anything about leadership, but the people around me. Sure, there's toxicity. Some of these guys are drinking heavily. You know, some of these guys are verbally and psychologically abusing. But that's the stuff that made you thrive. You know, whatever my sergeant was doing, I was doing. You know, my sergeant could have been taking, you know, feet pics on OnlyFans. And I would have did the same thing because that's what my sergeant was doing. You know, like, (laughs) so, yeah, man, I, I just love this country. It has given me so much. And my attitude towards this place is like, this is the land of opportunity. Sure, there's a lot of fuckboy games that happen here, but that's anywhere under the sun. It's going to happen. So what are you doing to make your situation better? You know, every day that you woke up, you have the same amount of time on the clock as I do, because there is nothing inferior about me that's superior about you. And there's nothing, you know, vice versa. There's nothing less than about you that's more about me. But what are we doing with that time? Because, you know, time flies, man. And I'm I'm gonna be almost 35 years old. I, I didn't even think I would live this long, you know? Yeah, I remember I went to recruiters one time because I had gotten in some trouble when I was 18 and I didn't know what the fuck to do. So I'm like, maybe I'll go talk to the military. And, you know, the little shopping mall with all the different branches are right there. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what the first one I walked into was. It was either Army or Marines, something like that. Said I'm, I'm an overweight. Because when I was like 18, I was like way shorter than I am and really round. Like I finally kind of evened out a little bit as I got older. I was a late bloomer, but I walk in and the said recruiter, I evened out as I got older. Hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. Man. I stretched out a little bit, but uh, no, I walk in and the recruiter like looks at me 
and he's like, I could tell he's like trying not to be a dick at first. And I was like, yeah, I'm just like looking into maybe joining and all this. And he doesn't even like hesitate to tell me, dude, you need to go to fat camp before you think you even join in the army or military, whatever it was. Yeah, I was heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that that wasn't me anyways. We kind of talked about that. I think on the last episode, but it was just something like I was like at the end of the road, didn't know what to do. And I'm like, maybe this will fix me. And I didn't end up doing it. But yeah, same thing, man. They, they didn't just tell me I need to lose 20 pounds. I had to go to straight up fat camp. Really? I wasn't even overweight like that. I still weigh, I was a 205 pound freshman in high school, but I was like physically fit. But because of the, the height and weight, like, did you have to get taped all the time in the army? For like yeah. PT tests? Yeah, it was a, the tape test is bullshit anyway. Because I <laughs> numerous, numerous times came in at 0% body fat. So I was dead. Because if your neck is half of your waistline, it comes in at 0% body fat. Mine was a little bit more than half. Um, so, yeah, we got taped a lot, but it was never accurate, obviously. So that's why you got the body of a Greek god. <laughs> Not anymore. I'm a, little, I'm a little voluptuous right now. <laughs> like, I'll take my shirt off in a second. <laughs> play, play with my titties. Give me a second. <laughs> keep talking, yeah, keep talking yeah. while I get addressed. <laughs> no, you but you've always Kevin's always been like one of those guys who is like blessed with good genetics and when he works out and like he could probably like go on a strict diet for a week and work out and he'd have a fucking six pack and I'm on the wine diet right now though. Wine I'm, and I eat a lot. The wine, <laughs> yeah, eat no uh, drinking wine, caps <laughs> off, dude. Um Dude, yeah, I've been bumping my carbs up too on purpose, but I'm trying to see if that helps. Yeah, hormones. Carbs is a problem, man. Sometimes, and sometimes I realize. See, I've always done good on the low carb to no carb diets, but I realize that I think part of that is they're not sustainable, depending on what your activity level is. Um, so I think you need to vary that, even just week by week or day by day have a minimal carb day a medium and a high or just stick consistently with more such so your hormones are balanced. You can cut carbs out and lose weight really quickly, but there's going to be a point where your body adjusts to that. Then the plateaus and then without putting any more muscle on, you start putting on fat, you're losing muscle in your shoulders and you're putting on fat in your love handles. Got to bump your carbs back up again. You got to yeah. kind of repeat that cycle. Um, unless you're literally working out three times a day, every day, then you're trying to outwork a mediocre or fairly mild diet. Right. But I think, yeah, but then I've always been kind of like everybody, it's, it's all relative, like Jake to me and me to other guys I served with who like, and guys I know still that never put fat on, they struggled to eat enough calories they're trying to eat, 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 and all they do is put on muscle and stay ripped. Like, what the fuck? They don't put fat on. It's like, my fat is synonymous with putting on any sort of muscle or lean mass. I put on fat at the same time. So it's all relative. Like, even I see it is like, fuck, man, these guys got it easy. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm built like a wrestler. Like, I'm just fucking wide-bodied. These fucking huge calves, neck, and, like, lats. But, so I wasn't strong. But sometimes you just want to look like the... Those little skinny, like, you know, uh, beach boys, you know, those little fuck boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keep it simple. 
because I, I, as a vet, like you know too, when you have degenerative disc disease and spinal injuries, like I have spinal cord injuries and also have spinal injuries, you know, like L5 fracture and stuff, like weight is your enemy because you're not trying to diminish the amount of time you have with a healthy spine if it's already injured, you know. Yeah. If you already have the back of a 55, 60 year old, you don't want to put more weight on. So that's actually my main goal of not of maintaining a healthy weight is that like, you know, I want to be 50 and be able to run around with my kids, you know. Well, I remember too, like in high school, you were like in like our first years of high school, you were super skinny. Mm-hmm. You were like real, a really small, slender guy. And then like through high school, you started packing on a little bit of muscle. It's because I got a girlfriend. Well, and then when you went away to the military, <laughs> you went away to the military and came back, you were like a different person. Like your body was, you were, mm-hmm. you were like more jacked and you had a lot more mass to you. And then you've kind of held on to that through the years. Yeah. It's just, I have a lot of mass to me. It's just not the right kind. <laughs> Dude, it's like you're a sex machine and the battery to power that sex machine is yeah, just right here. Battery. Yeah. that's something like man that white chocolate mask dude (laughs) that's something and once again we've talked about this on here but something i've struggled struggled with my whole life is like health and fitness my biggest problem is my diet it's being raised the way i was raised i was raised like super poor and of course yeah these are all excuses but i think some of them are valid yeah they're valid like being raised like pretty poor the food around was what they could afford. My parents could afford and they didn't know what was healthy and what was not healthy. And then of course I didn't know nobody was teaching me that way. And like, I see Kevin with his kids and he he's teaching them the proper way to eat, you know, because you know, and I'm more educated now than I was when I was a kid. So I try to teach my kids the same thing. It doesn't mean I'm also not a shit bag. I got them Pac-Man donuts yesterday. From <laughs> well, that place. See, I, I think it's important, even food, for kids to enjoy things. <clears throat> no, they need to enjoy things. That way they do things in moderation. Yes. It, that includes because if they're in the habit of binging, they're yes. going to be binge drinkers as well. Yeah, that's why I like the 85% rule. Every day. Don't have a cheat day. Just 85, 15. Every day have a little something that makes you happy, brings your cortisol down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday was bad because I gave them donuts. Then we went to the co-op. I got them more treats. And then last night when I got them fucking Reed's Dairy ice cream. Well, like they slept like shit. Like when you grew up the way I did, I remember like it was a special occasion when we would get something real good. Yeah. Like donuts or. And so when we would, we would binge, man. It's like, oh, man, the ice cream's here. Let's go. And that's still a problem to this day for me. It is. I mean, when I moved into the barracks after my first deployment, I had all saved up money. I was like, oh, I can do whatever I want now. Cause I basically was 18 when I joined, I went straight from basic to my unit, but it was still kind of poor in the barracks right to the deployment in 2008. Right. So coming from the deployment, I was like, I can buy whatever I want when I want it. I remember going to a Sam's club in Fairbanks and getting that, the huge box, like a pack of like Hershey's bars. <laughs> it was like 24 of them in there. And I clowned like 14 of them because mm-hmm. I could, Yeah, you yeah. know, but same. It's like, as adults, we're still, processing those issues we had before because now it's like i can do this it's just like people who are like oh now i have money i'm gonna buy four yellow jet skis with flames yeah. on them well not you know? to, not to that extent but <laughs> like <laughs> for us it's with food like well, see, I, do that, I do that with food and with money but not to that extent like if i get like a little bit of extra money i'm like oh man i need to buy something i want now because that money's not gonna be around even though i'm way, way better off financially than my f- parents ever were and but that's still it's it's the fucked up shit in my brain 
And it's like when there's good food around, like somebody goes and gets donuts, man, I'm going to eat as many of those as I can now because they're not going to be here when I get back. And that's a bad way to look at it. Yeah, no, seriously. I'm aware of it, but it doesn't stop me. In the same way. <clears throat> but yeah, yeah I, it's just, I think it goes down the way people are raised, That's why man. bigger is not better. Because when you get that half gallon thing of ice cream, it's like, well, I don't want to have to eat this today and tomorrow. Can't I just finish it all tonight? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You, you like, what if it's not there tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you have to eat the whole thing. So it's like. If I eat it all now, I won't eat bad tomorrow. Oh, God. But then you yeah. get another one tomorrow. Well, speaking of diet, you're a vegan, aren't you? plant-based gang (laughs) the butt of all jokes at every barbecue go ahead send it send it (laughs) like i'm always curious when when somebody has like a certain way they do a thing whether it's diet or whatever like what's the reasoning behind you being vegan so i literally thought i went vegan while i was deployed right like i just started seeing because i was hitting the gym like crazy and i was like man, let me put half a slice of cheese on this. I'm going to be vegan, you know, because I, I, I was at that, you know, the, we went to a base that had like computers and things like that. And I went on there and uh, I was on the computer and I was like searching diets. Little did I know that, like, I, I didn't know what the heck vegan was, you know, like uh, my LT, she was like, that's not considered vegan, Hernandez. Like that has cheese, that's dairy. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit. So what's it called? You know, she's like, probably like vegetarian or something, but it's definitely not vegan. And she's like, you need to be careful because you know, the vegan, the vegan crews, they'll come after you. They'll crucify you. You know, (laughs) (laughs) The internet's a strange place, but I started changing my diet when I started seeing that my, I wasn't hitting my fitness goals uh, because of the things that I was consuming or the lack thereof. So I started adjusting came back, you know, I, st- I didn't, wasn't vegan, you know, I was just doing, you know, a lot of chicken. Um, I was never a huge steak guy, but I really liked chicken. And then I felt like I had to take a proactive approach in the reduction of inflammation in like my body as a system, because I had a lot of inflammation and I still have a lot of inflammation um, along my spine, along my discs, and I couldn't ignore the reality that there was dialogue, like there were people talking about, you know, like plant-based things. And I remember I was talking to my wife, I was like, all right, I'm having a miserable experience. And I don't like talking about stuff like this um, because I'm, you view me as your knight in shining armor. So I, I, I don't want to be too vulnerable. I, want, I always want to be vulnerable with you because I love you. You're my spouse. You're my teammate in this thing called life, you know? But I don't want to give you too much, but I just, you know, I have to give you a lot right now, you know, and I'm going through hell. Um, I thought the right answer was to take the pills that the VA was prescribing me. I was like 270 something pounds, uh, which from where I, I was like 210, my normal, you know, right now I'm probably 220. I'm, I'm usually like my sweet spot is like 215, 212. Um, and I got to like 270, 275, and I was having a hard time breathing, like while walking, like things that were once effortless became a problem. And my spine was hurting more and more and more. Like I was, the times that I couldn't feel my left leg was just increasing and increasing. Like my, my days were becoming more and more miserable. So I said, I'm going to stop taking the pills that the VA gave me. 
And she's like, you sure about that? You know, just like, tell me how you feel. I'll connect you. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll just stay with the, with the medications that they're giving me, but maybe I'll change my diet. And that's when I started first. So as soon as I stopped uh, eating meats, dairies, things started to get a little bit better, but I still had like mental fog, like, and that was from the medications they were giving me. I had like, I felt like I was living the, the world kind of in third person, you know, versus feeling everything. Like I was just numb. I was a zombie, dude. I was miserable. And luckily I had a, a friend who pretty much saved my life, man. He, he rolled a joint and gave it to me. And I come from a family where that is like a no-go, you know, like, and I never, I never did it. I used to make fun of people, you know, who like smoked weed, you know, I looked at it like a loser thing to do. Like, I was like, what the hell's that? So this guy told me, he's like, look, Jeff, I'm used to seeing you like a fucking machine and you look miserable and you look worthless. Like he beat me up, you know, like, (laughs) with words you know he's like you are not the Jeff that I knew and whatever you have turned into you gotta adjust fire and I'm I'm it's not gonna sound nice but I'm telling you because I genuinely love you and I genuinely give a shit about you dude like stop taking the pills the VA gave you like look at what you've turned into try this and call me I didn't try it I left it in my garage. It was like the driest, you know, <laughs> you ever see a cigar that's been out of a humidor for like months. <laughs> <laughs> By the time I got to it, it was like that. And, you know, I'm sitting there. I can't get up from the toilet. I'm so embarrassed. I can't feel my legs. And I'm like, at that time I was in my twenties, right? I'm in grad school. I'm walking around with a cane every day. Like that's my existence at this point. This is this is how I'm navigating the world. Um, I said, you know what? Let me take this leap of faith. You know, like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, like you've seen tons of people that have smoked and everything that you were brainwashed with as a kid. Oh, you'll go crazy or, oh, you'll become a loser or. Reef like, madness. Oh, dude, I, I bought into it, man. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, uh, I think most of us did. But I'm seeing these people that are super successful, right? Like in occupations that are way more prestigious than mine, you know, like these guys are working for, well, I'm I'm not going to blow up any spots, but these guys are doing major things in the sciences. They're doing major things in, um, in business. They're doing major things in education. They're doing major things in mental health. And I admire them, you know, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, Jeff, you have grown up with this worldview that people that engage in this type of activity are dumb, you know, are losers. But here you are around people that you know for a fact engage in this and you get inspired by them. So somehow, some way, you received false information. (laughs) You know, like you're if you inspire me, like I, you know, I always humble myself. Like I'm always like, you know, I'll bow down and kneel to great list. Like, I love what you're doing. Like you're, you're amazing. You know, like I always affirm, you know, people around me. And once I saw that, I tried it, dude, I could feel my legs one puff. I could feel my legs like nothing. And I was just like, I'm in, I'm buying into this. Like, this is 
I can feel my legs. I don't care if you think I'm a loser. I don't care if you think I'm dumb. Like I can feel my legs and that's all I give a shit about because pain is emotionally and physically draining and it will put you in a compromising situation that you do not want to be in. And nobody likes talking about it, but I will say it, it will put you in a dark hole where you will think about just ending it all. Like, you're just like, I can't take this anymore. Like, if this is what my life is going to look like, I would rather not live at all. And it sounds so rough, but it's the reality, unfortunately, for a lot of us veterans that have been injured, that haven't been injured. We, we came back to a different world. Yeah. Yeah. When your quality of life goes down, you know, you eat erectile dysfunction or just have no libido. So it's like your intimacy and your passion go down. You're, you're more irritable, right? So the people around you just don't want to be around you. And then you're, so it's just a big, you know, cause and effect. What, what, what meds did the VA have you on? Dude, I have no idea. I, they were so, the list was so long that <laughs> you ever see like the, they're like pill containers that they have like Monday, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I used to have them back in the days, you know, when I was taking my, my supplements, you know, my, my liver stuff, my, uh, <laughs> my testosterone, whatever. But I had like eight different pills a day. You know, it was like anti-inflammatory pain medications, anxiety medications. Um, what else? There was a thing for headaches, right? So I, I, I bumped my head on a 50 cal um, and I've been, you know, I, I get like these little headaches and this was something, you know, that I, I, I never thought, but TBIs and PTSD, they have a lot of symptoms that mirror one another. So uh, you really got to get tunnel vision to make sure that you're you're seeing the right folks for the right care. And I neglected my care for so long because I just didn't want to. I'm going to highlight the word neglect because it is neglect if you're not taking a proactive approach and like having real dialogue with professionals, you know, about what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. My mindset is even though I'm a civilian, I'm still Sergeant Jeff Hernandez. Like I'm still a go-getter. I'm still a hard charger, like fuck pain every day. Like, yes, I can't feel it. I can't feel my leg. I'm still getting up. You know, I still got places to go. I still got things to do. I still have goals and aspirations and achievements. Um, so I, I kind of like, uh, I suit myself up, you know, I look at myself in the mirror and I just like suit myself up to like conquer the day. And, and I, I took the whole list of them, you know, and I remember it was like Lexapro was one of them. Mm -hmm. Zoloft was one of them. Uh, you know, it was like definitely like Percocets, you know, um, the, I, there's, there's so many of them, man. I, they're chemistry projects. Like I, yeah. I have such a negative lens towards any of that. Uh, and probably for the rest of my life, like I refuse to take the, the medications. Well, Kevin's had a lot of battles with, with different medications. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, even for me, it was finding out, like, I don't smoke weed, but because the last few times I tried to put, gave me panic attacks, you know, which probably because I was using the wrong stuff at the wrong dosage, you know, it was used. I was using what other people were using, like my friends who have been smoking for a long time. So it might have been the wrong blend at too 
high of a strength. And I was like, okay, fuck this. Panic attacks are not worth it. You know, like, <laughs> but, uh, that's very so, real. That's, that's super real. Like you, you, you can get, you, you can get yourself in a heightened state of anxiety by consuming cannabis also. Like it, it's not, I was, I, I was similar to you and I thought like, oh, it was just going to fix this. And I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> yeah i was like locking my guns up taking my clothes off and i just like didn't know what was going on until i was gonna have a heart attack and you know um but yeah like it's i just have to find something that is mellow and is you know whatever it's indica or sativa whatever you gotta find the right shit i obviously don't need uppers <laughs> you know um but uh it'd be better than you know because i'm the route i'm on right now you know take a low dose of like SSRI and a uh, um, a half a dose of Clomid for testosterone. Yeah, but then the that drove my estrogen up too high, so I was just gaining weight. So it's funny, I was increasing testosterone, which is synonymous with less body fat, and I was getting fatter. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, you might need estrogen blockers as well. So I still I'm still waiting on that. Like, you know, along with the whole wine in my diet, it's not good. It's not looking good. I still but, think we just need to go straight, you know, go across the border, get some supplements, some anabolic steroids. I'll shoot you in the cheek, you shoot me in the cheek, mm-hmm. and we get jacked. Just get jacked, <laughs> dude. You you'll hold, you'll do the needle, and I'll hold the cheek for you to make sure that yeah, you get it right. Yeah. The first Pull my butt apart for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, dude, my my roommate in the barracks, <laughs> his soul. He's not with us anymore. He was the coolest dude, uh, Anthony Gonzalez. He had Sustin on and he was taking it and he was just eating macaroni and cheese and drinking every night. He just looked great. He's like, God, <laughs> this shit must really work. So he stuck me one night and I didn't really feel my, I didn't really feel my ass twitch two bags. I know if it twitches, it can like tear some muscle fibers or whatever. He stuck it in my butt. But, <laughs> Don't say that again. <laughs> dude, I, my ass got rock hard for like three days and I was trying to figure out if I could go off post and go see somebody if they were going to report me you oh, know yeah, yeah, shit. yeah and the day i was going to go finally it started getting a little softer because i like couldn't sit i couldn't sit down on a truck like i had to call in and be like yeah i can't make it i've got the flu or something you know and i go see the medics i was like uh yeah sure why not you know <laughs> but i never did like because like fuck i couldn't sit down couldn't sit down couldn't do anything my ass is hurting so bad and then like the day i was going to go just finally go to it in the yard i it started getting soft. I was like, oh, thank God. So I don't know what the fuck happened. If that shit was made in like some bathtub in Brazil, it worked for Anthony, but it did not. It fucked my ass up, dude. That, and that's what happens when you let another dude stick it in your butt. Yep, exactly. <laughs> that was the only time I've ever tried yeah. anything. But like like with Kevin, you know, man, we've been friends for a long, long time. And I've, I've seen him go through ups and downs uh, after the military, especially. And it seems like this past year you've become you've gotten into a better place mentally we were actually talking about that right before we started this podcast with with each other yeah and that could have been because the ssri is giving me that space right between the reaction you can respond versus reacting and it maybe gives that space you know irritable and maybe getting with testosterone up has helped with that obviously as well if you're low testosterone you're gonna be irritable mm-hmm. tired fatigued cloudy in your brain so you're not gonna really be present for people um Granted, I could have used marijuana and not done an SSRI and had the same effect, right? Yeah. Well, like um, like I said when we were talking prior to this 
podcast. I think a big part of you being more mentally like stable is because you've become, you're more likely to talk about your shit. Mm-hmm. You didn't used to be that way. I mean, I've known you, we've been friends since we were a little kid. Yeah. We drifted apart, but even when we started getting close again, it was rare. You would talk about any issues you were having in your life. And then over this past year, I've noticed you talk about it. And yeah. you, and mm-hmm. I think that's for anybody veteran or not, if yeah. you talk about shit that's going on, it makes you feel better. Right. If you get it out there, I know me, I'm, I like to talk shit over because you get it done. And, and I think it's a good way to heal things, no matter how big or small the issue, the more you are open with people, the more those people can possibly help you. And I, I've seen that with other friends of mine that are veterans as well, who have post-traumatic stress. It's bad. And it seems like if you're more open and you're more open to accept somebody's help, mm-hmm. the better off you're going to be. And I could be wrong there, but that's what it seems like, you know? Yeah, no, totally. It's, it's the culture, man. It's a, it's a culture that doesn't, the bottom line is that here in the veteran space, right? We're talking people that have gotten out. Um, we are way more, how can I say this? We've had time to remove ourselves from a situation when you're in the fight, any little thing that can be identified as a weakness in you or can potentially make you a poor teammate, a poor battle buddy is nothing that you want connected to you. You know, here now that we're veterans, yeah, we can talk about it in hindsight. Like, you know, I struggle with anxiety. You know, I cannot be in one place for too long because I feel like I'm silhouetting myself and I start sweating my ass off, dude. Like things that I can't change. Like I'm over here sweating sure it's probably because of these lights you know but in my brain i think i've thought to myself like i just been here for too long you know mm-hmm. like and these are things that that i'm that i'm working on personally but when you're in the military eventually i feel like we're gonna have to bridge the gap because you can still contribute to the team despite feeling a certain way or experiencing certain things you know like you're still a valuable member of our organization but we need to put you in an empowering space uh, so that you can work through those things and not in a place where they're going to step on your throat. Cause I don't give a shit. What general says, what, this is the reality boots on ground. You start talking about PTSD and anxiety and all this shit, and you will find your way on a shit list somewhere. You know, it, it may not be from the commander. It may not be at the battalion level. Cause you don't even see those people. You know, you're, you're dealing with the team, your team, whoever's around you day to day, your squad leader, your platoon leader, somehow, some way you will work your way into a compromising spot. They'll, they'll, they'll give you a shit duty. You know, all of a sudden you do not become the guy or gal. That's the go-to, you know, you become the go-to for the shit duties, you know, because you said something um but then you have amazing leaders that would empower you but those amazing leaders are few and far in between because leaders in the military do not get that type of professional development as a leader to be able to say okay this is how you really take care of your soldier like taking care of your soldier is definitely making sure you know that they're developing you know in their warrior tasks and drills and that they're getting civilian education and that you know they're showing up, they're in the right place at the right time with the right uniform and the right gear. Like 
that's one aspect of leadership, but there's also the aspect of leadership. That's like, what about the real you, not the soldier in you? What, what's going on with that person? You know, like, what do you like to do for fun? You know, like, what do you want to get out of this thing called the military? You know, uh, talk to me about your health, right? Like, Oh, your ankles messed up. Okay. Sounds good. Like, let's take you to the, the medic. Let's take you to the sick hall. Let's take you to whatever. Not, ah, his fucking ankles messed up, you know, like yeah. fuck him, you know, like that. And I use the ankle uh, as an example, like that happens. And it's very real because you're a machine and every machine needs to be ready to rock and roll 24 seven, no matter what. So the faster you can put a bandaid on it and be back in the fight, the better it is for the overall success of the team. Yeah. That's that's a good actually segue. What are you doing with veteran and how'd you get involved with that? How'd you get involved with like Vincent Vargas, that whole thing? Cause I mean, that's how I came to even know you was you were involved with, with him and stuff. Yeah. So I actually met Rocco through Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, Rocco is a, a really amazing dude and obviously he's done some digging, you know, like he, he knows that I'm, when it comes to mental health, like there is an aspect of like being an advocate and being like, yeah, like you need to go do this and like connect the dots and like, here's some resources, but there's also a part of mental health. That's like, do you have training in this? <laughs> you know, like, did you go to school for this? And I went to uh, Kansas state university, fantastic institution had amazing professors um and i got my master's in counseling and student development you know i graduated in 2015 with that sucker and so he, he did his background he's like oh this because i reached out to him to say hey i really like what you're doing i don't know you know the ins and outs of it but if there's an area that you feel that i as a veteran that's in the mental health space can provide value let me know yeah you know, he's not dumb. <laughs> so he gets on LinkedIn, you know, does whatever he has to do. Um, and he's like, Oh, no, this person's like, actually, in this space, they are a veteran, like, uh, they are doing things that they're not just like posting silly little things on the internet, like they're trying to uh, push some positive, positive things forward. Uh, this is somebody that that I can co-sign and kind of uh, bring them on board. So I'm just working on building veteran programs. You know, there's there's a, a side of veteran that's like, you know, the business side, right? Those are where the TVs are, not the TVs, the T-shirts, the the giveaways, right? They're uh, trying to get a, a brand new, you know, F-150 all decked out to somebody, you know, trying mm -hmm. to, there's, there's a part of like, get uh getting donations right because a building a veteran transition center is expensive i bet it's a lot of money and how else can you do it like you know the these are questions that i challenge myself with every day it's like what what compels people to give in a time where people need so much what compels people to say, hey, the veteran space can be a little oversaturated. What separates these people from those people and those people from these people? Because at the end of the day, we're all veterans, but <clears throat> it, it depends on where you're at in the progress, right? Like if, if you're cranking stuff out, like you're really taking this stuff seriously, 
you could have one follower and I will fuck with you like 150%. I don't care about your one follower. I just know that you're putting a lot of energy towards this and you want to see it happen. So I'm going to support whatever you're doing, you know, like, mm. but there are some folks, this is a reality. It's like, they'll, they'll, they'll say one thing one day. And then the next day it's like the complete opposite, but they're a part of our community. You know, we still love them and we give them shit about it, but you have to take, if we're, we're talking about doing something to the highest standards, then this is a very serious deal to build something of, of this magnitude, you know? So we have to make sure that we're uh, connecting the right dots, but also working with people that think this is a priority. Cause some folks, unfortunately, they're just like, fuck it, just go to the VA. It's free. And it's like, dude, that mindset, like you have no idea what the actual experiences of veterans dealing with the Department of Veteran Affairs. Like there are some crazy horror stories. Sure, there's some facilities and programs that are just better run and they're more efficient, but it's an, it's an organization that has become ineffective. And quite frankly, I don't think it was ever designed in a way that would help the veteran transition successfully because they they didn't even have elements to that. Like, I don't know what your, what was your transition? Like, I know mine sucked. I, I got like four days of like, Hey, this is a resume writing class and you apply here for jobs and we'll see you later. Thank you. Thank you for your service. <laughs> I got hooked up with the wounded warrior advocate. They had one like in the office in the VA since so I went and visited her and she's like, yeah, lots of cool events. They're all in like Colorado and Utah. They're not here. Like cool. I'm not traveling to go fucking fishing with a bunch of faggots. That's what I said to her. And that's, that's, that's not how I feel now. <laughs> sorry. I was just, sorry. I was like putting myself in the headspace. Like, <laughs> like that's what I, I, when I got out of was Sorry. Let's put some context there. No, don't, don't apologize because this is, for the politically correct American, this is not politically correct. This is toxic. This is this is how we communicate. And every culture, every tribe communicates in certain ways. And our tribe communicates like this. We say, you know, kicking babies in the head. We say, you know, the most outlandish things. But this is part of our community. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and, but when I did get out, it was I was super just like on edge and like it's me versus everybody else, you know, super short with everybody. Like I was like, just get the fuck away from me, kind of attitude, you know. But uh, so I said that because I was like looking at the brochure and I was like, oh, major so and so out there were in his fly fishing pants, like little bio on him, like did one tour in Iraq in two thousand nine as a something something like cool so he's probably wounded warrior project and he's never seen combat it's like so i was like this guy's a faggot that's what i said i was like i'm not doing this i'm not doing any of these i'm not traveling with these people but she did help me because she did the one thing that she did was like you know um um the crsc that was called Conway. yeah crsc yeah she went with the crsc so yeah if you're wounded in combat you're entitled to something called the crsc like oh interesting okay so that but that was it other than that there was no like oh hey you should go to school or you know here's a 
a, you know, a, a class for writing resumes. It was none of that. It was just, I got directed towards her and then we had one conversation and then it was just on my own after that. And then I also didn't want to be on any meds anymore. I basically cold Turkey to everything, including Copenhagen right before I drove down here from Alaska. So I just was like, I don't, I'm not going to take anything. And because that's just me, like going every hundred percent, everything I do, but it wasn't healthy at the same time. I probably could have transitioned better and put myself in a safer place. Had I stayed on some of the meds, you know, maybe gradually. Yeah. Yeah. But to me, it was like my processing, this is getting busy, getting right after something, which I did, you know, into the business, you know, the CrossFit gym and everything, like just put my head somewhere and focus on something and obsess over it. And, you know, so that was my, so anyway, yeah, my transition was all kind of self-driven and maybe not the most healthy, but yeah. I'm super passionate about that transition piece. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if you guys can hear my dogs. I think my wife just got home. <laughs> no, I, I thought that was here. <laughs> my so like my friends, right? Like my battle buddies, my battle buddy system. They view me in a very unique way, right? So there's the the part of they view me like, damn dude, like you're successful as fuck, man. Like we were privates together, you know, fucking picking our noses, you know throwing baby wipes at each other you know doing the stupidest things to somebody that has achieved so much academic success and none of us fucking even knew you as that guy you know like uh and then there's another group that thinks like oh you don't know what this is like because you went to college and all that shit you know, like, cause you, you know, you went, you did all that like fancy stuff, you know, like I'm, I'm not about that, you know? So like, you, you can't really, you don't really know what it's like. And it's like, the reason why I took a counseling program is cause I was trying to fix myself because I refuse to talk to anybody about anything. My wife is a therapist, you know, I refuse to talk to her about things, you mm-hmm. know, it's just, she was connecting me with like with some of her peers because she knows, you know, and I remember when she was in grad school, like she was like, oh, Jeff, you know, I think that's called an irrational thought. This is a potential stuck point for you. And I was like, don't fucking treat me like one of your clients. Yeah. She was in the kindness of her, her heart. She was like identifying an issue just like she was making a spot check, just like I would make a spot check on anybody. You know, she's like, Jeff, I'm, I see you. And the, the, you know, the, what was it like one of my things? I refuse to let anybody get close to me so that I don't get hurt again. Right. That's a stuck point that I have. Um, and you have to work through those. Like you, I am so for anything mental health because I just saw the value in it. Like, you know, Jake and I were talking about Boston. I literally went to a two week intensive. I mean, you're there from eight o'clock in the morning to like sometimes seven 30 at night, all day, getting all types of group therapies, all types of counseling, uh, individual cognitive. Um, they had something called resilient warrior. We did, uh, uh, dbt dialectical you know behavioral whatever uh, we did uh cognitive processing theory groups like these are this was the best thing that i've ever done and i didn't want to share it with the world um initially because you know 
there's only so much that I want to give uh, the internet. Um, but if I don't talk about it, if I, at least this is how I feel. And this is the encouragement that I get there, as somebody in the, as a mental health professional with PTSD that literally still grieves my old body on a daily basis. If I don't talk about it, then who the fuck is? It should be my responsibility to say something. It should be my responsibility to say, you know what? This is real. I know that it feels super uncomfortable. I know that it is not the most popular thing to talk about. But whenever you experience trauma at any capacity, you have to work through it to get to the finish line, your desired finish line. Um, because I think all of us want to thrive and prosper and achieve and just like find excellence. But these are things that will create roadblocks for you. These are things that will make your days way more exhausting than they need to be if you simply aren't peeling back the layers and getting to actual depth versus surface level bullshit. Because I'm the king of just giving you surface level. You know, whenever they would force me to go to these appointments, I would keep it at the surface because it's like, I didn't even tell my own battle buddies, you know, I didn't even tell my platoon sergeant. That's not a sergeant major that we talk, you know, frequently about my anxiety. You know, I, I never told them about the day I smashed my head on the 50 count. He was like on the radio, Hernandez, 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 Hernandez. Like, you know, there, there's so much that I just keep my mouth shut that it felt so good to just like be in a space where I knew I wasn't going to get judged and because perception is reality, I perceived PTSD as a inferior quality in a human being, an inferior quality in a soldier. Um, but the reality is that the inferior quality in a human being and the inferior quality in a soldier is identifying an issue and not doing shit about it. So that's kind of where we are today. So shout out to all the folks at home base. Full disclosure, I don't get a penny for any of this. I don't get a penny from, you know, better and either. This is all like energy from my own heart. Like this is how much I believe in it. Like I don't get a paycheck from anything except, except for my nine to five and like some of my investments, but anything that has to do with the veteran space, anything that has to do with uh, empowering others, there's a zero monetization for me because this is not something that I view as a business. This is not something that I view as a way to keep the lights on. This is something that I view as you're a fucked up battle buddy, Jeff, if you're not saying something or doing something about it, because you actually know the information, actually have some resources. Um, and by resources, I mean personnel, right? Contacts, uh, people that have taken the time to like really get to know who I am and say, you know what, Jeff, like you're a solid dude. And let's help you get a layout of the land so that you can help other people connect dots because that's what I'm passionate about. I like to see people win, um, but it is exhausting. And this is something that I learned in Boston about myself is that I make a lot of deposits and I get very few with, uh, I make a lot of withdrawals, but I get very few deposits, you know, like in my life. Um, and I actually spoke to Rocco about this last night because Rocco is the same way, like, we're givers. We're givers. We, we give, 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 give. And nobody gives us shit. <laughs> you know, no, 
nobody gives us their time. Nobody gives us, you know, not nobody that that's a, that's, that's false. We don't get it in return though. Most of the time I don't get it in return. Um, I can, in a, in a day I can help out 10 veterans or a hundred veterans and I'll get zero veterans that call me back to say, Hey Jeff, how can I help you with something? You know, like mm-hmm. I just talked to you off the ledge, you know, and helped you connect some dots, but nobody says, Hey Jeff, like things that are meaningful to me, like, how are you feeling today? Do like, you know, after this interview, like somebody's going to say like, Jeff, you were sweating bullets the whole time. And I'm like, dude, I did not want to talk about these things that I was feeling deep down inside, <laughs> you know, and it made me so anxious. You're talking about them though. And that shows your character too. Like you talking about how you give, 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 you don't get anything, but guess what? You keep giving. It's not stopping you from continuing to want to help people. And that shows your character, man. That's like I told you about us getting people on this podcast of good fucking people. Like you're one of them. And especially after talking to you today, now I feel like I know you a little better because I just knew you on the surface, you know, and then we've talked a little bit, but Aaron, what what you do and trying to help people, especially people who are close to your heart, like other veterans, that that that's big, man. That's big, and there 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 are people out there that appreciate what you guys are doing. That's for sure. Yeah, because there's like with selflessness, right? Like that's an army value, right? Like um, you're always taught to put yourself out there, but the reality is you need something in return. You, it doesn't have to be at the same level, but as human beings, like you can only give the world so much of you, you know, eventually the world has to give you a little bit. Um, and I didn't see it that way. I just viewed it as this is my duty. This is my responsibility. Like I am a buddy fucker. If I know that a fellow service member is in a compromising position and I don't initiate trying to contact them. I don't initiate helping them connect some dots. I don't try to find another veteran in their community that can maybe help them connect the dots because I don't live there. You know, like it may be somebody in Idaho. It may be somebody in Washington state. It could be somebody in Maine. I'm in Kansas, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm not there. I'm not boots on the ground. I have zero uh, layout of the land, but I will find somebody, you know, it, it may take me a couple of hours, but I will find someone. Um, and I, I learned like, Jeff, that takes a toll uh, because you're bringing in so much of other people's trauma that compounds with your trauma. So somehow, some way you have to tip the scales and find balance there. Um, and you have to recharge your batteries. You have to find ways for the universe to recharge your batteries and you have to find a way to recharge your batteries. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something? No, I was just going to refer to, you know, and it's been used a whole lot lately, but the love bank, you know? Yeah. And we got to be vulnerable enough to t- say it. It's like, hey, it's a love bank, man. Like you can give love to others, but you've got to get love too, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and be ex- and before you get to a point that where you're not accepting of it, you get so used to not being loved that you shut off. Like, okay, defense mechanism, I'm going to shut it all off now. And then all of a sudden you can't accept love from people who are trying to give it to you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, I would not want to want you 
or me or anybody to get to that point, yeah. you know, someone's got to give too. And if they don't, you're just going to get fucking numb to everybody, you know? Um, no, it's, 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 that's a good, really good point about all that. You know, you, you give so much until you finally realize like, wait, who's putting something back into my bank? Like who's there for me, you know? And in what capacity? Is it a loved one? Is it a family member? Like my wife, family member? Is it a just a close friend? You know, is it another veteran? You know, is it someone I served with? Like, because they're all have their own weight in that capacity, you know? Well, that's why I think it's important too. Like you said, the friend thing. I don't have a lot of really close friends. I have a lot of acquaintances, tons of them. But real close friends, it's, it's pretty small. And mm-hmm. I try to show them that I fucking love them. And I'll tell them. Like, dude, I love, I tell Kevin I love him all the time. Mm-hmm. And I offered him a shoulder rub the other day with Lou, but he, he never accepted it. But it's <laughs> I think it's important to show your friends that that you care about them and that you love them and you appreciate them. And that's something Kevin has gotten better at too over this past year, like we were talking about earlier. He he reciprocates that, you know. And people, no matter how big and bad and tough a guy thinks he is, they need to be shown that somebody else cares about them too. And I think what you're doing, showing people that you fucking care, man, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I I hope it's received because, you know, a lot of the times like human behavior is super fascinating to me. Like our hearts, like our intentions could be so pure and we execute poorly and the person doesn't receive it that way. Mm Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I always think to myself, like, Jeff, I hope that you're executing correctly on this because there's no blueprint. There is no, this is how you do things. And this, you got to, you know, connect these dots in this certain way so that someone else can digest that feeling of your pure intention. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, gr- I'm glad that you said that. And I, I appreciate that. Um, I always hope that that it is received because... We are a tribe. We're one percent of you know the U.S. population or whatever. I don't know if that's legit. That's just something that I always heard. Oh, we're one percent of the U.S. population. And the way I view us, you know, are you guys like familiar with like samurai culture, like at any capacity? A little bit. I mean, I know I know what it is. <laughs> I mean, it's a new documentary on Netflix, so. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So there's something called a Ronin and Mm -hmm. a Ronin is for the audience that may not know a basic overview of what a Ronin is, is someone who their master has died, passed away, whatever they're masterless, but that's okay. You know, they're, they're not serving is the bottom line. They're not serving anything anymore. And they end up being a wanderer. They're purposeless. That as a warrior class, there are going to be textbooks and stories that will continue to highlight the American soldier. Um, and our history would, would show us like how we view like the samurai or like the Knights Templar, you know, like the American soldier, like we're some badass men and women and we have issues when we get out, <laughs> you know, we are disconnected. Our tribe has been broken at some capacity through med board, ETS, retirement, PCS. Our people are gone. You're all over the world. You're all over the, the States. Some people go back home in cases like me. I never went to my home. 
uh, I'm not paying $600,000 for something that looks like a crack house in New York city. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I can buy a mansion in Kansas for $600,000, like, mm-hmm. and have the tennis court and a, you know, huge pool, Olympic sized pool for that much money <laughs> sitting next to Patrick Mahomes kind of thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> but we're, we're, we're a tribe and we disconnect. And once we put ourselves in that Ronin, you know, maybe somebody will call it something and, you know, give it a, a keyword, you know, when we're wandering and we're purposeless, that's a very dangerous situation. Um, it's a very compromising situation and it'll put you in a black hole. So yeah, the best way that I see is to just connect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Connect. You know, if you're, if you've been trained to be task oriented, purpose driven, which is what the military does, well, where's my task? Where's my op order? Where's my purpose? Where's my direction? Who's giving it? Am I giving it? Like, fuck, I got to do this all on my own. Or should I, you know, like you start getting in your head so much and the ruminating and then, yeah, you gotta, how do you just find it? How do you just walk back into that? You know, it's really hard to just walk right back into that if you're now task purpose driven, you know, it's, it's yeah, that's so hard. Cause there's no, like you said earlier, there's no formula for it. You know, mm-hmm. everything's so dynamic. You're not a weight, you're not near people like that anymore. How do you just show back up to your hometown or another town and immediately find it? You know, do you go to the nearest, you know, what are those called? Like the, the veteran group places, the VFWs, VFW, you guys meet up there and get drunk with a bunch of dudes in motorcycles. It's probably not healthy. You know, um, you know, you want to be around positive people who are moving forward, not people who are living in the past. And that's what I feel like those are. I'm glad you mentioned that because there is a unspoken, you know, thing where it's like some of those folks in in those veteran organizations that are already established since Vietnam and whatnot, Mm -hmm. there are veterans who had this experience when they went in there and they were like not made part of the group, you know, and there are veterans that have gone and they just want to like go check it out. And then there's this expectation of like, oh, we're passing you the torch. And it's like, I need, I'm, I'm trying to rebuild my life. You know, you guys are all retired, you know, like you have the time and leisure to create events and do this community service project here and do this. And I'm in college or I'm in an entry level position right now, or I'm in an internship or like you're in the eat shit phase of life all over again. When you transition, you are, it doesn't matter. Sergeant, Lieutenant, Captain, Major, whatever fancy ass rank you had, you are nothing all over again. And I don't care who tries to tell me otherwise, you're nothing again. The civilian world does not give a shit about what you did in the military because your skills, while some of them do translate to leadership type roles, few and far in between that actually have a slot that you can fill because it makes sense. You know, like, you know, you're like, I can think about, uh, for example, I'm in education, right? So let's say I was a teacher and guess what? In the military, not only did I teach combatives, I taught weapons, I taught all sorts of activities. I even led PT, you know, <laughs> like those are areas where you're an instructor, right? <laughs> That's a very translatable t- skill set because you're 
teaching and you're developing your personnel. Super valuable. But when you get out of the military, you've already, most of the time, most of the time you've, you've put yourself in a leadership role. So there's the, the, the perception of, oh, I'm going to go into a leadership role there. And they're like, fuck, no, you're going to start yeah. licking stamps in the mailroom, buttercup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't give a shit what your title was. Uh, and that shit is heartbreaking, man. When you've busted your butt and have learned so much and have propelled yourself within a career to then not start at the equivalent or you know that you're going to have to take a pay cut. You know that you're going to have to like get demoted at some capacity, but sometimes the demotion is like, you know, I got out as an E5. The demotion was as an E1. Like, oh my God, I'm working at a vape shop when I was in grad school, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> barely making it by. Like, you know, luckily, you know, I had the GI Bill that would help me out. But still, though, dude, you are just working that job that you did not want, you know, like after being a leader in the military. And it's a rebuilding phase. And those veteran organizations kind of need that that lens also like, yes, we want to contribute to the veteran space. Like, yes, a lot of this stuff is Vietnam era guys, guys who are way older that fought a different fight that we have tons of respect and admiration for um, and are super valuable members of our community. And we will love them for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And if they need anything, we're there for them. We just need to know, but we're in the rebuilding reconstruction phase of a life in a society that has drastically changed from the moment we left it. Our communities look way different uh, from when we left. Technology has advanced where I wasn't privy to a lot of this technology stuff when I was in the army. Like we're, we're kind of in the stone ages. I just know how to shoot, move and communicate to the highest levels. And that's what I'm focused on. I'm not focused on the newest app, what cryptocurrency came out. Like, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I was oblivious to all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man. We, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm glad you, you came on because I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, but we should probably wrap it up though, huh? Okay. But so you were talking, you were telling me you might be making a road trip this summer. Yep. If, if you do roll through Idaho, man, you need to hit us up. Definitely. Yeah. I've yeah. never been to Idaho. Um, my plan is to go to Washington state and see a buddy of mine. Mm -hmm. um, and from Kansas to Washington state, you got to cross through Idaho. You sure do. So, you sure do. I mean, we're, we're down at the lower, lower half, but you might have to make a little detour and come through we can do this in person. Yeah, that's okay. I would be, I would feel like a fucked up friend if I passed by your neck of the woods and didn't at least initiate, you know? Yeah, like, yeah for sure. And like, I thought you loved me. And I mean, Idaho, Idaho <laughs> is pretty ugly and it's horrible and people should not move here. It's, ah. it's just, you don't even want to live here, but, <laughs> but if you're in the neighborhood, you know, you, you yeah. might as well swing by and we can sit down and do this in person, man. Yeah. Especially if you're coming from like a place like California and things like that, oh, like they, the yeah. quality of life there in Idaho wouldn't be. No, they, they don't like it here, man. We, every yeah. California that moves here hates it and they move back. But anyways, <laughs> uh, no, but so we, we do, we have a, we have a shit ton of veterans that listen to this podcast. So if they want to find you, man, if, if you're up for that, where can they find you? 
so Instagram, uh, the real shampoo for you shampoo, why shampoo your bald as hell. I was the dude <laughs> that would put, you know, in my little shower caddy, you know, my little personal hygiene kit, I always had shampoo and conditioner and mm. people like, why the fuck is your bald ass wearing? Like, why do you spend, <laughs> you know, and I was like, I grew up shampoo in my head, you know? <laughs> so, so that kind of stuck. Um, but the real shampoo, the number four, the letter U on Instagram. Um, if you need an email, Jeff Hernandez87 at Gmail. That's a really good spot to catch me or Jeff H at veteran.com. Um, but we're here, man. If you need my phone number, uh, this is the internet. So I'm not going to just unleash the beast right on this podcast. But I am a phone call away. Um, and a lot of veterans take me up on that. And, you know, if you're in a dark place, come find me, man. Like we have a battle buddy system, you know, that we're, we're, we're working on continuing to expand. There's too many of us in so many States and so many countries that generally just give a shit about one another. We just need to know, you know, like, I just need to know that you got a flat tire and you're 15 minutes from me. Like mm-hmm. I'll go over there, man. Like, you know, we need each other. Um, and we want each other and when we're together we recharge our batteries like no other so yeah always here to help and uh always always here for you guys like i love what you guys are doing both of you guys are studs i'm super proud of you guys because i know it takes a lot to give the world a glimpse into your real life Mm -hmm. you know and um, that could potentially be compromising based off of views and perspectives. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm bad at taking compliments, especially in person, but I do like them. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you have a chiseled chin. Um, <laughs> oh, you, now you're talking to Kevin, <laughs> but all right, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on and I'll keep in touch with you and we'll get something going when you come through town. Right on brothers. Take care. All right, dude. Thank you, man. Bye.